Good morning. Uh, my name is Steve Treichler. I'm one of, also one of the pastors downtown here at the downtown location. Um, uh, and I just want to just take a minute because I know just Merry Christmas. Sometimes you just got to stop and kind of go, oh yeah, it's this. I know it comes Saturday and some of you are like, five more shopping days. What are you talking about? No problem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are in a series right now called A White Elephant Christmas. <clears throat> and I, I love this idea. I, I really do. I, this, is, this is genius. Core thought of this. I think this is like the third or fourth year you've rolled this out, but finally powers that be said yes to it. But, uh, which isn't me, actually. It's the other, the other guys. Uh, but the, the idea here of a white elephant exchange, you may be familiar with that, but the white elephant Christmas is we go into things expecting one thing, but maybe something else happens, right? So for some of you, you're, you know, and I talked about this two weeks ago, you might be expecting this to be the picture, very Norman Rockwell, and instead it looks a little more Iron Range, a little more, you know, a little more redneck, and it's just like, oh, I was expecting that, but I got this. And that's kind of what we're looking at in this series. Some of the expectations of Christmas that maybe get a little bit dashed because of reality and yet, Christ comes in and he is, he is the ultimate answer to all these things. So this week, what I want to look at is, when we, when we come into this season, there's kind of an expectation that it's going to be about Jesus, right? It's, it's going to be about Christ, but it ends up kind of being about, like, everything, everything else. Now, <clears throat> Christmas in America is quite the, quite the, the study topic. I mean, you can look at how we have historically celebrated this holiday, and it's, it's actually quite fascinating. Since about the end of World War II, though, I think it's been one of the greatest changes in how we celebrated, how we celebrate Christmas. So if I talk to my parents, uh, what, what they remember for Christmas was getting, like, a new pair of socks and an orange, okay? And they were like, that's great. Look at this, new socks. They'll go all year, right? That's what, kind of, or maybe then somebody knitted you a hat and that's kind of what it became. But after World War II, just like in a lot of things in, in, uh, in America, we became economically you know, more wealthy and there was more out there and that kind of flowed out to Christmas. And so uh, around the 60s and 70s, there was a bit of a culture shock to this with certain people and they kind of pushed back against it, right? Because it was becoming, it seemed, more about the gift giving than about Jesus. And so uh, uh, one of my favorite uh, early Christian rockers, by a man by the name of Larry Norman, who no one knows is in this room, but Larry, there's a couple people, there you go. They're old, old school, man. You're, you're really old back there. Do you need a walker? Or are you all right? Or, um, <clears throat> Larry Norman wrote a song called Christmas Time, and I'll never forget this line. He says, it used to be the birthday of the man who saved our necks. Now it stands for Santa Claus. We spell it with an X. It's just a great line, right? But it's obviously got an edge to it. If you listen to any of Larry's music, he was finding something to pick on, and he did it. That's what he did, uh, both in the church and in culture or whatever. And he was a Christ follower, and he loved that. But he definitely had the gift of sarcasm. I mean, it was pretty bad. In fact, he goes on to say in that same song, Santa Claus is coming, and the kids are getting greedy. They know what's in the stores because they've seen it on the TV. Now, this is 1973, okay? So remember that? Nobody here remembers that. But, but you know, we're a bunch of little kids, and we're Saturday morning, and we're seeing all the toys come on, and the kids are getting greedy, right? Charles Schultz, uh, Peanuts, uh, had... 
probably, arguably, one of the most famous Christmas shorts, uh, A Charlie Brown Christmas, right? And he wrote it in 1965. And I don't know how many times the word commercialism comes up, or commercial, right? There's this one scene in Charlie Brown Christmas where, where uh, Charlie Brown walks by Snoopy, his beagle's uh, uh, doghouse. By the way, you know, the dog lays on top. I have a beagle. Our dog lays on top of the couch all the time. It's a, anyway, uh, <laughs> so he walks by this, and the, the dog has all of these, these uh, flashing boom, bum, hiss, bam, boom, and all this thing happening. And he gets this first prize he won in the, the dog won in the, in, the, in the light show award. And Charlie Brown says, my own dog, gone commercial. I can't stand it, right? And it leads Charlie Brown to this kind of existential crisis because, you know, remember he buys this tree and you probably have all seen it, right? But he, he ends up, he's, he's directing this play. It doesn't go well. And he screams out. Does anybody know what the real meaning of Christmas is, right? And that's when Linus comes in, you know, and of course he has to spotlight please, you know, and the whole thing happens. And he, and he gives this, this talk and he reads from Luke chapter two, which is a very famous passage. Cor read from it last week, right? Uh, but unto you, a, a savior is born this day in the city, excuse me, this day in the city of, of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord will be born unto you. Right? And he gives this whole speech and he just reads the scripture and he comes over to him and says, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown walks off now happy thinking, right? So there was in culture kind of this push against some of the commercialism and other things going on that seems to have taken, uh, to quote Larry Norman again, Christmas and changed it to, you spell it with an X, Right? It is kind of funny, actually, because I, 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 my chicken scratch on here, there's many times I wanted to write the word Christmas, and I was tempted to write Xmas just for short, and I was like, no, Chris, and then it, and I ran out of room and had to go moss down the side of the paper, but uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, a very, it's a very much a cultural phenomenon. Tim Keller in his book, and I really recommend this book. This is a fantastic book for those of us who have kind of gone along through Christmas, and it's a quick read. Uh, and and it's, uh, it, it really, he calls it the hidden Christmas. It's great for people just wanting to kind of slow down and rediscover Christmas. But also, quite honestly, if you're just here and you're just kind of checking out Christianity, and the reality is something about Christmas makes you just kind of want to wander into a church service. Uh, we'll see folks that we only see once a year. This year, our Christmas Eve service will be over at Lower Town. But we'll see folks that, there's just something about it that you just kind of want to be a part of and to actually go like, what, what really is getting, what, what's Christmas getting at here? What would it mean for me to be a follower of Christ? This is a great book for that. It'd be good for, for everyone. He writes in this book, and I'm just going to quote from the introduction. He says this. He says, Christmas is the only Christian holy day that is also a major secular holiday. Arguably, over, uh, arguably our cultural's biggest now, the reality is, if you look at the amount of time that our culture puts into Christmas, and he's going to say this as well, uh, pr probably because of, you know, the financial aspect of it, uh, I finally figured out about 10 years ago that Black Friday is called Black Friday because some of the merchants, that's the day that they go in the black for the year. Like the rest of the year, they're just kind of losing money, but then Black Friday. So believe me, that ain't going away anywhere. There's economic powers there. But if you add it up, it's about 10% of our year 
that people are thinking about Christmas. That's, that's pretty amazing, actually, right? He goes on to say, the result is two different celebrations, each observed by millions of people at the very same time. This brings some discomfort on both sides. Many Christians can't help but notice that more and more at the public festivities surrounding Christmas, uh, studiously, they studiously avoid any reference to its Christian's origins. The background music is in stores is moving from joy to the world to have a holly jolly Christmas, right? Then he goes on to say, uh, the holiday is promoted as a time for family, for giving, and for peace in the world. Christmas is a wonderful secular holiday, wrote one enthusiast, enthusiast at the popular website Gawker. There's the website at the bottom of the slides if you want to see where it is. That's amazing. That's an amazing statement, right? Really? Okay. On the other hand, non-religious people can't help but find that the older meaning of Christmas keeps intruding uninvited. For instance, through the uh, music of traditional Christmas carols. It can be irritating to have to answer their child's questions, what does this music mean? Born to give them second birth, right? Because of its commercial indispensability of Christmas, it will remain with us as a secular festival. My fear is, however, that its true roots will become more and more hidden to most of the population. And that, that's kind of where I want to go this morning as we look at this white elephant gift. I, I kind of want to look at what, what just go, go to Charlie Brown's question, what is the true meaning of Christmas? And then I, I want to go, I'm not, I don't want to, you can, there's a lot of ways you can go. You can be like Larry Norman and, and, and kind of yell at the culture. I, I don't want to do that. Because I think there's a, a lot of, of uh, things that it does well. But I want to ask a question, why is it hidden? Why, why would this thing be hidden, right? So I'm going to do something kind of weird. I don't know if I've ever actually done this before in uh, 300 years of preaching. That uh, what I want to do is look at three passages, relatively short. And each one of them, I want to look at the first half of the passage. And the passage will talk about uh, Christmas, kind of what, what the meaning of Christmas is. And then I want to go and look at the second half, and the second half of the, all three of these passages say, and this is kind of why it's hidden. So the three passages I'm going to look at are Isaiah 55, 1 and 2, John chapter 1, verses 18 to, 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 to excuse me, 9 to 13, excuse me, and then John 3, 16 to 19, which a lot, of, a lot of you may know that passage. So let's first start off with this idea of what's the meaning of Christmas by looking at the first half of all three of these passages. Okay, first one. <clears throat> this is written in the book of Isaiah. If you're new to the Bible, it's a book in the Old Testament. It's written about 400 years before the coming of Christ. And this is a passage that Jesus is going to pick up on in John chapter 7. And he's going to say, hey, all you who are thirsty, come to me. He, st he stands up at this festival, and it's a link back to the allusions in the Old Testament, especially this one, talking about this issue. So this is really an invitation to Christmas, even though it's not explicit here. And look what God's invitation is. He says this, come. All you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Okay, that's the invitation. So pretend you're thirsty, okay? Maybe that's not hard for some of you, but just right now, say you're really thirsty. 
uh, man, we, we, our bedroom is just dry as a bone, you know? And we wake up in the middle of the night and if you can open your mouth from being so parched, you know, stuck together, that is kind of this, I need water, right? Think of just being like that. But God just isn't gonna give you any kind of water. He's gonna give you, and he's gonna talk about this in the second half, the richest affair, like really good water, really good wine, really good milk. Not that 1% crap. I'm talking whole, all real milk, right? Okay, now how does he do it? He says, you don't need any money. You don't need anything. Just come. Okay, what's, 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 the, what's lining up here about what Christmas is? What's lining about about God's offer here? It is, God is unbelievably generous. The generosity of God has showed off as Christmas unlike any other time. And it's this invitation to come and drink the best, the best. Second passage, John chapter one. Now the book of John is an interesting, there are four gospel accounts. So in each one, they talk about the life uh, the birth, the, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All four of them, okay? But they're all a little bit different. They come at it from different angles. They're not, they don't contradict, but they come at it different. The book of John doesn't talk anything about, you know, a manger and animals and, uh, uh, you know, a little drummer boy. Oh, wait, that's nowhere in Scripture. But anyway, you know, a lot of these things that are in the other Gospels, John doesn't do. John gets about it from a bigger picture. He talks about it more philosophically. And here's what he says in John chapter one. He says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Say, get it? So this, this second person of the Trinity, God himself, he comes into the world and he describes, describes him as true light. All right? So light, so you can see. There it is, right? He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, comma, can't keep going because that's about why it's hidden. Uh, I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> it's like, that's not a sentence. I know, I know. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him. So let's just stop and think about that. This is your creator. This is the one who made every single thing about you. And he came into the world, right? He's the designer. He, he knows every single molecule, how it all comes together. He comes and he is in the world. So what's, what's this getting after here? The one who created us, the one who created us, he's offering something. And that is light, clear sight. I can see, there it is, right? So first passage, generosity. Second passage, your creator, the one who made you, comes and he's giving this light. Third passage. <clears throat> kind of went into puberty there for a minute, didn't I? <clears throat> you might be familiar with this one. Uh, it's one of the most famous passages in the Bible. It's, I'm going to read it and then we'll talk about it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, comma. So again, we're not at the end of a sentence, but it, it changes from there. Okay, now let's go back here. Let's go back to the last thing I just said. Your creator comes to earth. 
Now let's just think about this for a second, especially in this culture. Just think if, if someone else knew everything about you. You know, they, you know, you know we're going to go and be among family in here, and, and they're just some topics you just don't want to talk about because you might have a little different opinion. And I don't know how different opinions go this day and age. <laughs> yeah, I do. All right, it doesn't, right? It's just not going there. Like, oh, look at the time. Uh, must be something on TV, right? Got it, stop. But just pretend that that person knew everything about you. Everything. They knew what you thought about certain issues. They know uh, the way you thought maybe towards certain things they had done. They know every action you've ever taken, good, bad, and ugly. Uh, How most of us would think that that person would reject us or cancel us, right? Now, as much as you think you know yourself and you've got those areas in your life, you really, well, kind of try to hide, you know, the warts we try to cover up and all that. Your creator knows way more than you even acknowledge about yourself. Good, bad, and ugly. He knows it all. And what does he think about you? This passage answers that. It says, for God so loved the world. That that's what he thinks about you. It's crazy. This is not like, oh, the world's great. No, the world actually is fallen and sinful and rebellion against God, and yet God still knows everything about it and still comes and he's got this mission to come and it's a way of him screaming to you how much he loves you. Jill loves my, the sermon I did a thing on called the manger invasion. I was just, (laughs) that's the last year I was allowed to do Christmas. But the, uh, the, this idea that God is just invading planet earth with this idea of the manger and it's an invasion on us. In a good way, okay, forget, you know, you're all thinking like extraterrestrials, and I don't mean that. But it's this idea of God screaming his love to you by this, this manger when he comes. When he came, he gave his one and only son. That, that what happens here, it's an invitation to come and to believe, to, to, to trust, right? For God did not send his world, send his son into the world to condemn the world. That goes contrary to popular belief. People pretty much are sure that Jesus and Christians are here to pretty much just condemn me. And, and here it says, no, that's not the point. The point of why Christ came was to be our Savior, was to be the one who would show how much he loves us and not only be born, not only live, but ultimately go to a cross, which he didn't deserve, which we did for our shortcomings and sins that he took upon himself for us. And he doesn't come here to condemn. He came here to save the world through us. And it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, right? So let's go back to these three passages. First one, you're thirsty? Here's some free wine. Mm-mm. It ain't two buck chuck either. This is good stuff, right? <laughs> Second passage, true light. I can see, I can see there's someone my creator cares for me and so much so that he showed the ultimate love in coming to earth and dying for me. This is the best message in the world, right? This is a crazy message. Why would anyone reject this message? Well, each of the three passages is going to tell us why. Because it doesn't make any sense on first. Like, wait, wait, wait. I can have wine and not pay for it? No, I want to pay. I want to pay. 
oh, I can have a light, big old spotlight things. Nah, I want to stumble and keep making my toe the size of New Mexico by hitting into things in the dark. Oh, no, you know what? I'll just pay for my own sins, thanks. That's good. I, I, I got it. That's stupid. I'm, I'm sorry. And, you know, that, no. But why do, they, why do we do it? Why is it hidden? Why, why, why is it just a subtle thing that we want to remove Jesus from Christmas and kind of think about other things? What is it? That does it. Well, each of these three passages is going to, oh, this is uh, God's reckless love on display. So why, why is it hidden? Let's go back to these three passages. Again, first one talks about come. This is Isaiah 55, the prophecy in the Old Testament. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And here, here's, here's why we don't. It says, why spend money on what is not bread? Now, to ask that question, it has to make some sense. Like, in other words, you do this. Why do I go buy things and I want a piece of bread and it doesn't actually satisfy? And your labor on what does not satisfy. So you chase after things, but they don't, they don't satisfy you. And I love this. It says, listen, listen. When you say it twice, it's just like, dude, you're not listening. No, I'm listening. You're not listening. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. God's saying, my generosity is so awesome. When you come to me, it's gonna satisfy you in ways that nothing else can. But the human condition says, you know, I, I'm gonna chase after other shiny things. Thank you very much. I, I, I see that God, I get it. But you know, there's other things that aren't bad things necessarily, but they're not God replacements. And we constantly are going after them. And so we don't go and get what we think will really quench us. We just kind of take these little sips of other things because we think that they'll satisfy us and we do it all the time. It's the definition of idolatry, even though you're not bowing down to an idol, you're just replacing God with something else. Second passage, talk to John chapter one. And it says, the true light was coming into the world. Uh, the, the one who made you, he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Can you imagine that? You know, you made this place, you're walking and people go, uh-uh, nothing. He came to that which, he, which was his own. That's interesting, right? Uh, there's a great book title, but you're not your own. You're, you're God's, God made you. That's who you are but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name. So there's an equation here of, of receiving him and believing in him. He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And here's this idea that this thing that happens when, when a person does this, they receive or they believe Christ it's so radical a transformation. It's described in the Bible and in the, in the Christmas carol as a second birth. Like, oh my gosh, you know, born again or whatever the phrase. In other words, I've put Jesus in that. Now, just look at this phrase here. It says, those who received him. Now, every time I think of that word, I just think of somebody knocking at the door, right? And what do you do when someone knocks at the door? We have options, Right? I live in South Minneapolis. Uh, I don't have one of those signs out front that says no solicitors because I actually just like to talk to people. And so <laughs> I 
I'm kind of lonely. Would you be my friend? Right? And so um, they got this, you know, and they come. But if I can tell, if you ever do this, by the way, the clipboard is a dead giveaway. You're done. You got a clipboard, you're done. But so they come to the door, and how do you treat a solicitor? Well, I, I got a screen. I usually, you know, put this, pull the screen down, right? Or I might open the door a little bit, but you ain't coming in my house. No, nah, that's a different place, right? Some of us will kind of look through the side window that they think, we hope that they can't see us as we see them. And it's like, do I want them? Do I even want them to know I'm home? You know, the dead giveaway is if it's or later at night and all the lights suddenly go off. I know you're home, okay? So, <clears throat> but you see someone through there and you, what are you gonna do with it, right? The idea of receiving someone into your, it's, it's, it's actually opening the door, letting them in. And if many of you have been to my house, you, you come in the house, you go into the living room, you sit on the couch, we build a fire and we're gonna talk. I am actually receiving you into my home. That's what this imagery is, right? Christ, I am believing you. I am trusting you. I am taking you, and I want you to come in. But I know there's going to be things that you want to talk about in a loving, caring way that are going to be uncomfortable. But I'm going to let you in. We're going to have that fireside chat. Why is it hidden? Because we don't want to do that. I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm, you can knock all you want, Jesus, but... I, I, don't, I don't want you to come in. I don't want you to come sit on the living room of my life on the couch and, well, I don't want to do that. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to go out the back. I'm going to stay away. Third passage. Um, third passage says, uh, this is the whole thing about God loving the world and he doesn't condemn the world. He does not why he's came. But he says, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So in other words, because of our own trespasses and sins, we already stand condemned. Jesus doesn't come to condemn us. We already are condemned. He comes to rescue us out of that condemnation. He comes to rescue us out of our own sin and what the judgment that comes to follow. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Now, I know sometimes you read that and you just think, oh, they're just yelling at me. I'm a sinner. I'm evil. That's, it's not just saying that. It's actually saying that there's something about instead of putting God at the right place and, and I want to have things that replace him, I want to knock him off that throne and I want to put whatever it is in that place. That's why I will not allow him in. That's why I will not uh, run. That's what it means to love darkness. It doesn't mean like I'm doing, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I don't know why that three came to my mind, but you, you, the, the idea here is all these nasty things. It doesn't mean that necessarily. It just means I don't want to go to light, and darkness is, quite frankly, is me just chasing after my own things. And so the, the opportunity here is that uh, it's there. You can welcome him in. You can believe but the reality is there's something within us, and in my own life, this was 18 years of it, saying, you know what? Uh, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. And I actually, I, I really like this. I'm just going to stay here. That's why it's hidden. So what is uh, the fact that believing actually would involve me choosing to trust God to lay down my own 
uh, I can do this on my own. God saying, no, God, I, I need you. I, I, I need to be dependent upon you. And we just say, no way. And so as a result, then we'll do whatever we can to avoid the topic in, in like changing Christmas to Xmas or, or whatever. It's just, it's just too uncomfortable. It reminds us too much about these things. <clears throat> Keller goes on in his book here. I'm just going to continue on where I left off. Let me, in fact, pick up the same first uh, couple, maybe it's one or two sentences. He says, because of the commercial indispensability of Christmas, it will remain with us as a secular festival. My fear is, however, that its true roots will become more and more hidden to most of the population. The emphasis on light in darkness comes from the Christian belief that God, that the world's hope comes from, the, from outside of it. The giving of gifts is a natural response to Jesus' uh, stupendous act of self-giving, where he laid aside his glory and was born into the human race. The concern for the needy recalls that the Son of God was born into an, not into an aristocratic family, but into a poor one. The Lord of the universe identified with the least and the most excluded of the human race. These are powerful themes, but every one of them is a two-edged sword. Jesus comes as the light because we are too spiritually blind to find our own way. Jesus becomes mortal and died because we are too morally ruined to be pardoned any other way. Jesus gave himself to us, and so we must give ourselves wholly to him. We are therefore not our own. 1 Corinthians 6, Christmas, like God himself, is both more wondrous and more threatening than we imagine. That's Christmas. Christmas is an unbelievable declaration of what God has done for us. And yet, it also says, you know, those ways that we want to go on our own, those ways have to become in alignment with the true message of Christmas. I, 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 I need to become wholly his. I need to open the door in my life. So, as we go back here to what's the real meaning of Christmas. I, I, I just want to land this for just a second. Some of you in this room, maybe for the first time in your life, first time in your life, you're saying, I, I want to open that door in my life. And you can do that right here. We're going to close with communion. And you can pause right where you're at. You can do business with Jesus right where you're sitting. And you can say, Jesus Christ, I open the door in my life. I receive you and come sit on the couch. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. Take away my sin. Now you come and you take your first real communion because you're communion with Christ. Some of you, that's just for the 10,000th time. You're not being born again, 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 again but you are reminding yourself what Christmas is about. I want to lean in here for just a minute. I, I know this is a really big topic, but I, I want to, just for a second, I want to go there. Many of us, because of the events of the last five years or so, have been doing something called deconstructing our faith. And maybe your friends, or maybe you're kind of going through this. You're just like wondering, what's actually true? What is it? And I, I, this is actually an issue that future weeks will do more on, but I just want to touch it here. Because oftentimes at Christmas, People come back just for whatever reason. And, and, and part of that reason is, is because something about the Christmas carol, something about Christmas just says, it's just right. It's just right. I, I can't put 
a finger on it logically, and there's so many things going on in our world regarding how do we live life in a, you know, a pandemic, and how do we do with social justice issues, and how how's the church been complicit on that, and all these different things, and the, the, a lot of that's just things we got to really work through, and at the same time, something about Jesus, I just can't get away from it, and I, I have to go. Now, I want you to take that as just a spark to say, yes, yes, Jesus is who he said he was. And yes, the church is his representations on the earth. And yes, the church is still messed up. I know, because I'm part of it. It's still messed up. If you've not been hurt at this church, come down front afterwards. I'll hurt you. <laughs> you will get hurt here. And then somehow we believe, because you've had such a great experience with so many people, then someone hurts you, and you're like, I hate that place. It's still filled with people, right? These, right? It's still filled <laughs> with people. They will disappoint you. But there's something about Christmas that just says, yeah, yeah. So if that's you today and you say, Jesus Christ, I have in the past invited you in, but right now, to be honest with you, I've, I've ushered you out. I would also invite you this just to invite Jesus back and have those hard conversations with him in your living room and discuss the things you're struggling with. Let's close in prayer. <clears throat> Jesus, I pray that this Christmas that we would in fact be people who celebrate Christmas, that you would grant us a gift and, and that we would um, actually feel you in the midst of this. We would feel how beautiful the opportunity is the wondrous gift, the way that you scream your love, your generous, reckless love towards us, and God, that we would respond accordingly. That's a gift, God, because on our own, we, don't, we love our own stuff. God, I pray that you grant everyone in this room, people that we know and love, you grant them a gift, and that's just to see how beautiful you are. I pray for folks in this room who are maybe for the first time or the 10,000th time or after a long time are reinviting you into the living room of their lives. They're receiving you. I pray right now that that's something that they would say, yes, yes. And just would let you do whatever you desire in their hearts and minds and change us, we pray. Thanks for this, Lord. Pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.